The singing guitar. 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 Twelve guitarists. Twelve guitarists. Twelve guitarists. Twelve guitarists. Twelve guitarists. Twelve guitarists. Twenty-six singers. Twenty-six singers. Twenty-six singers. Twenty-six singers and a cellist. In new works by four American. In new works by four American composers. Exploring the unique connection. Exploring the unique connection. Exploring the unique connection between voices. Voices and strings. On this episode of The Singing Guitar, Grammy-nominated composer Kyle Smith. Kyle Smith has gained international acclaim with commissions from The Crossing, Conspirare Pafaro, Cincinnati's Vocal Arts Ensemble, the Helena Symphony, the Choral Arts Society of Washington, Lyric Fest, Westminster Choir College, Mendelssohn Club of Philadelphia, Newburyport Chamber Music Festival, the Pennsylvania and I Sing Girls Choirs, Choral Arts Philadelphia, and the Gaudette Brass. With major choral works heard in Chicago, Boston, San Francisco, Dallas, Canada, England, and New Zealand, Gramophone Magazine called Kyle Smith's Vespers spectacular, and Audiophile Audition said it was easily one of the best releases of the year of any type, and a crime to pass up. Kyle Smith's contribution on the singing guitar, The Dawn's Early Light, was written in 2019 and commissioned by Conspirare. Kyle Smith is here with us to discuss the piece. Hi, Kyle. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, Max. It's good to talk to you. Thank you. Kyle, when thinking about the dawn's early light, you reflected, this is what I love to do with music and words, to tell a story, to find a story that's inside of each of us. This is what music can do, and it is what choral music is especially suited to, paying attention to the words as they go by, with the music. Do you feel like music is a support for the words, or are the two elements equally weighted in importance? It's a funny process that I go through. I don't know if it's funny is the word, but it's a long and drawn out process because I live with the words for a long time. Now, remember Sarah Winnemucca's book. So there's a lot of words. There's a lot of stories that she tells. And a big part of what I do when I'm going through texts, deciding what to choose to set to music, to find what excites me in a storyline way, but even more than that, what hits me deep down. And I go on faith, being a composer, that what affects me will affect someone else, too. And so what happens, the longer I live with the words, is that the music kind of grows up around them. It's an interesting question how you asked it. It, There gets to a point where you don't even separate the music and the words. They become one entity, as it were. And when that happens, it's the most natural thing in the world to compose the music for it because they just kind of interpenetrate each other and come out as one. 
That sounds very lofty, but when you're in the moment and composing, that's a wonderful feeling when that happens. It doesn't always happen. A lot of time, it's just a lot of hard work. You're sitting and trying to get the notes to obey you, or you're trying to obey the notes and not trying to get into their way. But it's wonderful when that happens and they do become one entity. The story behind it, just very quickly, and it's the story that got me into this entire piece, reading through all the tales of woe and happiness that she writes about in and among her own people, and then uh, also when the white people came in, first were soldiers, and very quickly her grandfather welcomed them and thought it was great that they were coming in, and he thought that the, uh, as he called it, the brown people and the white people would now be able to come together. for them to get them through the territory and worked with the soldiers a lot and so he picked up a lot of songs that he would then bring back to the tribe and he would teach the soldier songs, folk songs and so forth to his family and the tribe. The centerpiece of the dawn's early light is the Star Spangled Banner. Atrocities that Sarah Winnemucca lived through all lead up to this song we call our national anthem. Some very nice words that you wrote about that. This surprising, ironic, questioning, and yet ultimately beautiful anthem. Sarah relates this story to us, and we see the anthem through her eyes. As we come away from it, we are not only challenged by it, but to be sure, inspired also, as we are challenged and inspired by her beautiful soul. Now, Sarah's, she was born in 1840, 1842, around there. So the Star Spangled Banner wasn't really a song for very long in the uh, history of the United States. You know, it wasn't the national anthem, quote unquote, then, but it was certainly getting to be very well known throughout the young United States. But she learned it from her grandfather. A little bit later on, there's a story where the soldiers are with them and the soldiers decide to sing the Star Spangled Banner. So they sing it and she says it didn't sound anything like what she had been taught. It was an entirely new Star Spangled Banner. It got me to thinking what a strange and kind of wonderful story that was. What could they have been singing? Kind of a whisper down the lane thing. Her grandfather taught them something that wasn't quite what the soldiers were singing. 
So I just thought, wouldn't it be interesting to just to write an entirely new setting of the Star Spangled Banner using those words, but then writing entirely new music to it, entirely new tune and new harmonies and so forth. Not to try to write something that Paiutes would have sung in the 1850s, let's say, because I had no interest in doing that, but to just to write something new. hope then was that those words, oh say can you see by the dawn's early light and so forth, that it would affect me in a new way and I hope it would affect whoever would listen to this in a brand new way also and that's what I did there and I've just been bowled over by the response from audiences when they hear this and people listening to the recording that they're just very often moved and sometimes moved to tears by it. That's very gratifying to me. that you wrote, you said, of all the national anthems, the Star-Spangled Banner is the only one that's a question. Is the flag still there? The flag we saw yesterday, before the night and the bombs fell on this land of the free and the brave, is it still there? Isn't that an amazing thing to learn? I didn't come up with that. I read that somewhere a few years ago. And I looked around, and as far as I can tell, it's true. It's the only national anthem that really is just one big question mark. And it's, can you see the flag, that flag that's waving up there over the ramparts and uh, through the rocket's red glare that gave the light from the bombs bursting in the air, shows us the flag. Do you still see it? Do you see it still waving or the land of the free and the home of the brave? When you think about that, that's mighty weird and remarkable. national anthem being a statement of purpose, a statement of inspiration, a description of our wonderful lands and the rivers and the valleys, as many national anthems rightly do. And yet this one isn't that. It's just a question. And so I tried to put that questioning part into the music, and yet at the same time, the realization that we are the land of the free and the home of the brave, and do we still see that flag which represents all of that? So I think it speaks to all of us. Thank you. 
Let's talk a bit about some upcoming projects you've got with Conspirare. Your first opera, The Book of Job, will premiere in multiple cities next season. You're the librettist, and this approximately 75-minute long piece was composed for one soloist with choir and features both Conspirare and The Crossing. What can you tell us about this project? Yeah, it's been a great project coming about for the last couple of years, and it's been postponed a couple of times, as so many things have because of the pandemic. And it's going to take place in the 22-23 season with The Crossing in Philadelphia in the concert version and the staged premiere by Conspirari in Austin, Texas. And it's the book of Job from the Bible, which to me asks the fundamental question, how can there be a God, a good God, if all this suffering is allowed to happen? And this is the exact question that Job, who had so much tragedy in his life, that he basically pummels God with to say, how can you do this to me? It isn't fair. And if there's any justice, if you were a God of justice, you would not have allowed this to happen. My take on it to make it as dramatic as possible, because basically the book is a, a series of conversations, arguments even, between Job and his friends. And his friends are trying to take the side of God and saying, you know, Job, you must have been a really big sinner for all this bad stuff to happen to you. And Job is saying, no, I'm telling you the truth. That's not the case. So anyway, they go back and forth, and I thought it would be interesting to have Job be the only solo singer. So that would be a bass baritone singer. And then all the other characters are played by a choir, and they will move around the stage, and they will take on the personas of Job's accusers, and of Satan, and finally of God. And so that's what I'm working on now, and that's going to be a fantastic project, my first opera. And I also wanted to touch on April Showers, a song cycle for soprano, mezzo-soprano, tenor, baritone, and piano. Life is not a highway strewn with flowers. Still it holds a goodly seraphly. by Conspirari and Craig Heller-Johnson. It was written in the midst of the pandemic. Your idea was to find optimistic poems from the end of the last global health crisis. Of course, the 1918 Spanish flu, which we've now all heard so much about. But you didn't find much that suited you, so you expanded your search to the popular song lyrics of the time and found themes of solitude, lost love, dreams, and hope. And these songs spoke to you, especially for a choir. When Craig and I were talking about this, we were right smack in the middle of our pandemic. Long story short is I found these popular song lyrics from the uh, early 1920s, and I was looking all in that area because, as you said, from the last the Spanish flu from 1918, and also World War I ending 1919, just a horrific time in many ways to live through. And yet I found these songs, like That Old Gang of Mine, All Alone by Irving Berlin, Prisoner's Song, which is basically the first country hit, and that's from 1921, I think that was. Tea for Two, and then April Showers, when April Showers come along, you know, April Showers bring May flowers, and 
So what I've done is I've taken those lyrics and I've written entirely new melodies. So I'm not using those melodies at all, I'm just using those words. New accompaniment and all that, so brand new music for those words. And I've had the most fun putting this together in Conspirari with the four soloists. Stephanie Moore, soprano, Laura Mercado-Wright is the mezzo, Dan Cokewell, the tenor, and then baritone Simon Barrett, and then Austin Haller played the piano, and they just premiered a couple weeks ago, and we just couldn't be more tickled with how this came about, and we've gotten great reactions from it. You know, I wasn't trying to write, you know, I didn't say to myself, well, I'm going to write this in the style of Tin Pan Alley or something, but there's a good bit of jazz in there, a good bit of my take on popular music uh, in there, and I had just a ball putting this together. Lots of fun, and Craig kind of shepherded the whole thing through, and it really was fun when Craig suggested having four soloists, and I really jumped at that chance to do that. My decision was to use each of the singers as a soloist, and then when he or she was soloing, then the other three would be used basically as backup singers, and that was really fun to do. T for Two is mostly a duet with the mezzo and the baritone, so they're the only ones singing on that one, but it's actually predominantly mezzo in that one. I'm discontented with homes that are rented, so I have invented my own. Darling, this During the soprano solos all alone, Laura gets to sing the melody at one point with backup. So you try to weave it together and try to change it up to keep the interest going. But that was really fun. So I don't treat them as a choir, per se. I kind of imagined it as those old 1940s groups like Tex Beneke and the Modern Airs singing with the Glenn Miller Orchestra or, uh, you know, the Andrews Sisters where you have a soloist and then the other ones create this texture of a backup uh, behind them, which I always wanted to be a backup singer. I just think that's the coolest job ever. It's interesting, this seems to be your thing, how you use words that exist already and write new melodies to them. I guess it is, I didn't realize I had a thing, but maybe. (laughs) 
maybe you're onto something there. To take something that is known with other music and then to create new music. First of all, just to see if I can do that at all. <laughs> and then try to make something that's new and fresh. And that works with those words. The thing with using old texts like that is they can become kind of cliched. Not that the words themselves are cliched, but that we look at them in that way. For instance, you know, the opening, I've got a longing way down in my heart for that old gang that has drifted apart. They were the best pals that I ever had. I never thought that I'd want them so bad. I've got a longing way down in my heart for that old gang that has drifted apart. They were the best pals that I ever had. I never thought that I'd want them so bad. I read that, so it sounds like a pop song from the 1920s, you know, gee, but I'd give the world to see that old gang of mine is what it is. But I thought, we're all missing each other now, because we haven't seen each other whenever we talk to one another, it's online, in one of these conference calls, and it's so unnatural, and we just want to be together, and particularly for choirs, that's what we do. We stand next to each other, and we sing, and we create our music together. And I thought, wow, these words actually do have an emotional impact. So it was my job to try to see if I could create a new and emotional impact with those old words. I suppose, in a sense, I write a lot of church music, and I've done a good bit of writing hymns and taking old hymn texts that may be known with other hymn tunes and writing new hymn tunes for them. So I I guess I have done it uh, a good bit throughout my career. But to me, it, it's all composition, you know, it all comes from the same place, I suppose. But I will say it was a whole lot of fun doing it with these uh, texts from the 1920s. I can't forget that old Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast to discuss your piece for the singing guitar, The Dawn's Early Light, and your ongoing collaboration with Consperare. Well, thank you, Max. I had a great time and uh, wish you all the best. <laughs>